Active Motive Podcast Episode 5 Epigenomics Welcome to the fifth episode of Active Motives Epigenetics Podcast. My name is Stefan and I am part of the technical support team of Active Motive. The topic of this episode is epigenomics. Our special guest for this episode is Hank Stannenberg from the Rothbard University Nijmegen, which I met during the Ample conference Transcription and Chromatin at the end of August 2018. I'm happy to sit down now with you. Uh, thank you, Hanks. Hank, for joining me today. It's my pleasure. <laughs> um, please let me quickly introduce you to our audience. Um, because they might not know you. You obtained your PhD in genetics at the University of Wageningen. I hope that's <laughs> correctly pronounced. Correctly pronounced, yep. And after a postdoc at the University of Zurich, you fulfilled uh, positions at uh, group leader at Hoffmann La Roche and at the gene expression program at the EMBL here in Heidelberg. Perfect. You are also a member of the EMBO since 1994. And since 1996, you are a full professor at the, and head of the Department of Molecular Biology at the Radboud University in Nijmegen. And what I did not write down here, but that interests me, uh, is that you got the honor of being awarded like the knight <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of the Netherlands, right? How did that come and how did that feel? Uh, uh, interesting. Um, there's a small story to it. The, the university uh, proposes you, or your whoever, university in this case, and It was awarded, but before the ceremony, they phoned me up to ask me whether I wanted it at all. Oh, so, <laughs> so you can decide whether you want it? Yes, and uh, since I'm not very uh, uh, royalty-minded, yeah. but I saw it as an appreciation of my work, I said yes, but they were fearing I would say no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the, at the official ceremony, The one that wants to give you, that was the mayor in this case, and then he would be feeling awkward that I would say no. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so that's how. Okay. And uh, a question I like to ask every guest uh, mm -hmm. at the start of our podcast already is, uh, how did you become interested in pursuing a career in science or in science? The very I think I've always been interested in, uh, in things, in biology and nature. I actually wanted to become a surgeon, but that <laughs> at some point dropped out and I became a biologist. Uh, I think it's always been part of what I like, uh, study, find out, follow my nose, uh, curiosity driven. Yeah. And and becoming like head of departments and stuff, was that part of the plan or is it just how it all came that, out? In that happened slowly. You start off as a PhD student yes. or a student, PhD student, postdoc, group leader, professor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Then here we are. <laughs> yes, correct. So, um, as I told you already in, in, in the preface of this podcast, um, by listening to your talk, I was kind of, um, yeah, not feeling very well about my questions anymore. <laughs> But I think we can uh, just do <laughs> we it. We can uh, go through them. Um, so, one of your topics that you focused in the past was malaria. So, mm -hmm. how, how did you get interested in, <laughs> in this model organism? Like Plasmodium falciparum is like the agent that causes. The, the, yeah, there are two two answers to that story. One answer was uh, in my time at um, Hofmalaroche, I was asked to work on malaria, but there was not much material and tools and stuff around, so I s slowly started to do something else. 
when I took over the as head of the department, there was a project and that was called Malaria Vaccine Development. Oh, yeah. That didn't move in any direction really. It was sort of stuck for a while. <coughs> because it was stuck, I started to think of, of other approaches and uh, realized that very little is known about the genome, the epigenome, transcriptome, you name it, and started to work on that. And I, that <laughs> yeah? leads me to my second question, because we're here at the chromatin uh, conference. Uh, what makes it so special in terms of, of chromatin and... Um, Well, one one of the phenomena that is very interesting from an epigenetic point of view, but also from a medical point of view, is the switching of uh, cell surface antigens. And that's the way uh, the, the parasite escapes. And that uh, switching is basically driven by, a lot to a large extent, not certainly not the whole thing, by epigenetic modifications. So you start looking at where are... Uh, the active and active marks, where are the repressive marks? And there was a big difference between malaria and, and the mammal or the human uh, in this case, because the epigenetic modifications are different. Not all of the um, marks are there. It looks more like yeast than like okay. a, a higher eukaryote. So it was interesting to find out whether you could first determine where what is, and then by using drugs that are developed anyway for the human, uh, yeah. inhibitors for the various enzymes, see whether you could um, interfere with certain processes. And that's made malaria and epigenetics a very interesting tool and a very interesting combination. So what kind of results did you... Did you hmm. get out of your studies there? <laughs> briefly, briefly summarize <laughs> briefly, like, yeah. like, like the, the... Well, the, I think we were the first to really determine the proteome of uh, malaria, together with Matthias Mann, a former colleague yeah. here from EMBL and now in Munich in, in, uh, in Denmark. Um, so that was the very first. That was at the time where the genome annotation was still very poor, the... Uh, most of the genes were unknown, function unknown. So that was one major one. And then later on, we started to uh, define um, the epigenetic modifications and uh, the gromatin active-inactive regions. And that, I think, has been pretty much completed. And that's uh, an important resource for the community, but also, as I said, a resource to... Um, to see which drugs, which compounds can I use to alter and interfere. Um, but these are the two major things. So um, going on to, to other mm. things that mm. you did, so you were or are the coordinator of the Blueprint Consortium. Were. You were. were. <laughs> uh, which is yeah. also part of the IHEC, the International yep. Human mm -hmm. Epigenome Consortium. Yeah. Um, could you Briefly explain what those consortia are and what mm -hmm. kind of goals you pursued in those. Um, very similar to what I just told about uh, malaria. Uh, essentially, um, what we want to achieve in, in these consortia, and initially on the blueprint and then uh, took it broader to the international stage, is to define uh, the, the functions of different parts of the genome. Uh, so 
basically doing a, an annotation of where uh, where is a gene. Well, we knew that, but where is a promoter? Where is an enhancer? What is going on? And 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 that the 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 task was to do that for the community. So it wasn't really meant to determine and to interfere in in the consortium on its on its on its own, but to get a, a definition, uh, an atlas or whatever you want to call it. And um, we focused in in blueprint uh, solely on blood. Uh, first, because it's a, an easy to reach material. No, you right? don't have to kill anybody. To <laughs> right, but nobody had done it up till then. So uh, it, it was a, a simple step, but nobody did it before. The other is there are many, many, many diseases, immune diseases, other diseases, cancer, that are blood-based. So you can immediately start comparing what changes in the epigenome, transcriptome, methylome, if you compare a healthy cell versus a diseased cell, or uh, and and not in cell culture, but really the, the 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 source of the cells primary from blood directly taken, directly um, processed, uh, and then do all of the cells that you could think of or you could get your hands on, or do it even on on hundreds of individuals and start looking at genetic variations, um, similar to what uh, um, Anne Ferguson-Smith was talking about in mouse. Uh, we had uh, quite a lot of work on, uh, on human cells, uh, looking at three different cell types, see what is the variation from one person to the next. And it's huge, yeah. unexpectedly huge. So, so the, the the goal was really to have a, a reference library yeah. of, mm -hmm. of genomes, a resource wh yes. where people who study different mm -hmm. diseases can refer to and don't need to do those analysis themselves. Definitely, exactly. Yeah. So the resource is publicly available. Obviously, it was immediately released. Um, some of it is under controlled access because we're not allowed, according to informed consent to risk or to have people trying to uh, re-identify the person or yeah, sure, yeah. That, that is all controlled. But it's become one of the most wanted data sets in, uh, in the EGA database. So we're kind of proud on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very sure. much used, uh, but it's also very much used because we focused on one organ, so to speak, blood, at all the stages, at at disease, at normal, in children, and so on. So um, it is pieces of one puzzle, and all the other <coughs> groups or consortia had bits and pieces from different puzzles. So they would do something in breast cancer here and um, fat tissue there and so on, but not a coherent set where you can say, now we have covered it, at least for now, yeah. as good as we could, This is a reference resource for the community. Go ahead. What kind of methods methods did you use? Is it just uh, sequencing or um, mostly uh, the standard things? Because in in these kind of uh, big projects, from start to end, you have you want the consistency in the measurements that you do. So basically, chip sequencing was one, DNA methylation uh, another, RNA transcription, open chromatin regions, 
all the stuff that you would do. Uh, and you cannot really change your protocols too much because yes, then sure. the answers will be slightly different and the coherence of your data set will, uh, will get lost. Um, so relatively standard things, a lot of fact sorting, obviously, because you have to identify and purify the cells. But more or less, sometimes even boring, <laughs> uh, because after 2,000 chip seeks, yeah. uh, you still need to do another 4,000 chip seeks. And that can be exhausting. That is fantastically <laughs> interesting. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, you were talking about differences uh, among those data sets mm -hmm. and among those. I think, can you... Can you just talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, um, there were two major papers uh, that came out in, in the series two years ago uh, from the Sanger lab. Um, and basically uh, what we could show there is that there is an, a variation in T-cells, B-T-cells, uh, monocytes, and another one, neutrophils, I guess. Those were the ones that, that we took from 200 individuals from the same blood. We made the three different uh, cell types and then did the analysis. And then you see that there is a, a large variation, partly genetic, partly uh, environment in the sense that if you have a fluid now and I measure your epigenome in your T cells or B cells or whatever, they will be different in a week from now and probably come back to normality maybe in a month from now. But you don't know all the history. Yeah. And so every sort of environmental impact can be seen back in transcriptome but also in the epigenome. Yeah, that was the same where the, those brothers that were astronauts that ah. went to space <laughs> and everybody was like uh, getting it some kind of wrong that, that they don't have the same genome anymore. Yeah, no, that that, that was interesting and, and I guess expected. Uh, but I don't think NASA was looking for that answer. No, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Because they, they wanted to have it as a as a, a pilot for later on people going to Mars and then you're, what, three years away? You'll be yeah. you'll be totally screwed <laughs> up. Oh, <laughs> can't say the word. Um, yeah, but good. yeah, uh, it's interesting. It, it it it's an extreme example. Yeah, but I mean, if I do a marathon, I will also have the similar effects, right? From from my twin brother who doesn't do an. Marathon. Yeah, if you are doing it for the very first time, you will just have a lot of pain in your legs. <laughs> yeah. But if if you're a trained one, yes, you you are your whole metabolism, which impinges on your epigenome, your metabolism, your environment, and so on. It will be quite changed, definitely. I'm not. We got a little bit away from from yeah. what 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 what, uh, what the topic no, was. But what, okay. what what were your contributions to to the the blueprint? Uh, consortium in, in, in particular? Well, in, uh, of course, uh, as the coordinator, the main coordination and bringing the people together. So essentially, uh, I had to approach people that I thought would be fitting. So you, you brought all the, you selected the people? Yeah. Okay. Uh, of course, there was advice from, from, from everybody. It's, it's not in, in isolation, but essentially... Uh, you have an idea in mind how you want to, to organize and, and how, what you want to do. Then you look for people that uh, that you can bring in that have that expertise. 
And, and certainly I would not have all the expertise that sure. we needed. Uh, and I did not know all the people either that I brought in in the end. And then uh, my lab was in particular doing all the chip experiments. It's an EU project, so there has to be different involvement of different countries. Uh, Spain, Barcelona did methylation, DNA methylation. Um, Berlin did RNA sequencing and so on. So there are yeah. tasks uh, spread all over the the partners. And, and so we did a lot of all the coordination over the, the five years. Uh, and all the uh, epigenetics, but then also started to drift a bit into things that we're doing now that started then was uh, innate immune memory. And, and that came out of the work that we were doing on uh, monocytes and macrophages, and, and that uh, developed into what we're doing at the moment, into a new bar paradigm in, in the field. Uh, and that, that was, again, a collaboration with a... Uh, an infectiologist, immunologist, and so you had different types of people together. And and that worked out uh, well. And most of the people were happily contributing, and not all. <laughs> that's, uh, that's also normal. So, yeah, the, the basically the concept, uh, the selection of people, then starting to write and discuss, and then do the work. Yep. I mean, that, um, do you think this is where, where science is heading? Uh, putting together like big consortia that everybody brings in his expertise and then putting together all this, this bigger work? Um, I would almost completely say yes, but um, there is clearly other work, other important work going on. And, and this meeting is a good example. Yeah. Uh, we still see, and, and we do see interesting biochemistry. Uh, and that was the main thing 20 years ago, and now it is here and there, not, not the central theme. Um, there is so much integration also of different fields, different, uh, we've heard physics and physicians, uh, um, physicists, sorry, physicists coming in um, with technology that you, you can't have that all in one lab. Well, maybe you can if you have an enormous amount of money, <laughs> but you wouldn't have the expertise. So I think the, the strength of these big consortia, and we'll probably come to another one in a, in a second, uh, the Human Cell Atlas, these are resource generating like the human genome sequencing was resource generating. And I remember when that started, I thought like, come on, it's a waste of your time and effort. But then if you see when that comes together, how important it is and how we can't live without. Yeah. And I hope the epigenome stuff that we did is also uh, a very important reference. I know it is because people are asking for the data uh, very frequently. Uh, but there are other things. Uh, there are new horizons which are so big that you have to have an international consortium or at least a large number of local consortia that that uh, organize amongst themselves what part you're going to look at so that in the end you can integrate all those uh, actions in, into one view of what, what is going on. Yeah, so 
You already said the new trend, mm -hmm. the new trends, and, yep. and I guess we are now coming to single cell epigenomics. Yep. And this is also where the IHEC consortium is heading, right? Uh, IHEC is not so much heading to uh, um, single cell. Uh, there is the new initiative, which is called Human Cell Atlas, yeah. uh, or, um, initiated by Sarah Teichman and Aviv Rejev, and, and now uh, has a an organizing committee of about 30, 35, 40 people, and I'm, I'm one of them. Basically, um, the technology is now there, and, and I must say Europe has been pioneering in that. Uh, Sara was certainly one of the pioneers. Uh, Ido Amit, another one, and, and several other people. <coughs> This is such a big task to do the definition at the moment only, or almost only, on the transcriptome and get the definition of the cell, the cell state, the differences between the cells, take a complete organ, so that the, take it apart. Yeah, the the goal would be to have like the transcriptome of every, every cell in the, cell in in the, the body. body. Yes. Human body, right? Where Human that? body. Through development, aging, disease, everything. So this sounds like, a, like you said, it's like... Like Sisyphus, you're, you're standing in front of the mountain and you try to get up there? Um, yeah, you shouldn't think about it too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because it's really, really big and, and it's starting now. Uh, first funds are available. Uh, the US is, is liberating funds very quickly, I must say. Europe is the usual a bit slower. Uh, but there are major initiatives and, and applications ongoing. And basically, yes... Uh, Just to take one organ, uh, whatever, take uh, intestine and look at all the different cells in the intestine, in disease, in celiac, in IBD, uh, all those diseases, in cancer. What are the differences? What are the cell types? Uh, do we know all the cell types? Answer, definitely no. Um, and it's, a, it's an atlas. It basically will give us a, a resource with whom you can work. Yeah, I guess it, it is already tough to find like all the samples you want, right? If you want to have different cancers, you have to find the people with the right... Right, well, that, that we have been doing in, in the, the International Cancer Genome Consortium, the ICGC, yeah. so I, I'm still part of that as well. <coughs> But uh, the getting the samples is one thing. Then the enormous amount of data that you'll get... Uh, you'll have to work store on it. that, store it, uh, make it available so that people can work with it. You can't transfer it to your own lab because it's simply too big. So you'll have to have it in the cloud, and that's ongoing. Uh, the Zuckerberg Foundation is, is putting money in to uh, start getting that structure together, or it is already up and running, more or less. But now you have to, you know, how many cells do we have? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So we need to get started. And uh, one lab or one institute cannot do that. Well, what's your contribution to that? At the moment, we're, we're looking um, at RNA sequencing in different tissues in the intestine, where we look at disease versus uh, normal uh, in, in different inflammatory diseases, uh, bowel disease, others. Um, we are moving into epigenetics because that we would like to have at a single cell as well. Not sure whether that 
can really be done. Yeah. The, the methods are not good enough to really get efficient cross-linking and so on. Methylation is already at that level, but high throughput, not yet, I would say. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, do, do you consider the single-cell analytics more important in these settings because you really need to identify like one organ does have different cell types right right we we need to know which cell types are there under which circumstance but we also need to know where they are in the tissue and and we're destroying that information by dissociating to single cells so we need new technology other technology microscopy oriented based uh, to see where in the organ was that cell Uh, do you think it loses the the identity when it's taken out? Um, not so afraid of losing the identity, although that is a risk that we're running. Uh, take the liver. Uh, the liver has a certain number of cells. Depending on which zone you are, your expression profile is different, although you're all an hepatocyte. But yeah, if you're here or there or there, you have a different... You still are a hepatocyte. But you have a different job, you have different neighbors that is structured to do something. And so their transcriptome will be different. So you want to know where was that cell. And so we need positional information. And there is beautiful work coming out, or was out a month or two ago, uh, where they did that in the cells, in, in tissue sequencing, marvelous. But that's far from standard. But you want to know where it was and whether that is, uh, let's say, two different cell types always come together or make a, a small subunits or substructure. We don't know at the moment. We just take it apart and we throw it through the machine and then <laughs> we have transcriptomes. Uh, do you think the, the sensitivity of the methods is limiting at the moment so that you cannot sure. do what you want? No, you, you can do quite a, uh, quite yeah, sure. a bit, but, but it's not as deep as good. Um, but you don't need, f for now, we don't need that deep. Okay. That will come. That will come. When we started uh, CHIP, what, 20, 15 years ago? Uh, it was a very tough and difficult thing. Yeah. Uh, now it's much easier. Um, much, much easier, much more sensitive. We go to 100 cells, 1,000 cells. Yeah, 1,000 cells, I yeah. guess. It's, it's, it's a good standard. What did we use when we started? One. 10 million, yeah. 20 million? <laughs> Probably. So, yeah. so basically, the, the technology feeds in constantly. Uh, it will become better and better and better. And I'm sure uh, now we do standard, maybe a few thousand uh, per, per machine run. Others are already at half a million or a million. It will become more and more and more and also more deeper. Yeah. But you need a deep pocket as well because yeah. <laughs> it is bloody expensive <laughs> again. <laughs> But it generates a resource that, that the whole community is, is uh, hopefully waiting for. I'm, I'm pretty sure they are. And so once in a consortium, that goes back to one of your questions, in a consortium, you try to standardize it such that within that uh, activity, it is uh, interchangeable, interoperable, and so on. And that you don't achieve if all different labs, uh, every university lab 
is doing their own stuff in their own way and not standardized, the data is never as good, uh, uh, interchangeable and, and comparable. So, I mean, I work in tech support. I know that people, even if they say I do it 100%, mm. like you say I do, I should do it. it it's never the same because no. it's it, parameters change and you have a different heating block or a different centrifuge yep. and, and it all will be Absolutely. Different. And even the different hands of the different yeah, sure. people in your own lab <laughs> that are supposedly doing it exactly according to the protocol. And then why does it fail? Yeah. Uh, why does something else come out if it is so easy? Yeah. Uh, it's not. Standardization is, is a challenge, but it's easier in, in big consortia yeah. than, than in your small lab. So where do you think this is going? What will be the big challenge in the next five to ten years? I think the, the integration uh, of... Uh, and still back to cell-cell to -cell interaction, cell-cell communication because we, we're even starting. I don't think we'll be quick enough in, in 10 years. Um, it's really the major challenge is, or let, let me say it from different. What I would like to see is uh, on my computer, a three-dimensional pre presentation of a tissue yeah. where I can say, let me look into that. And then we see cells, uh, And the colors could be telling us that this is an immune cell and a support cell and a fibroblast and so on. And that if I want to know what the these two cells are doing with one another, that I click on it and it says, okay, this one is uh, expressing uh, cell surface receptors X and these are expressing ligands. And so there must be communication going on between the two. I mean, Th That's what I would like yeah. to have in 10 yep. years upon retirement. <laughs> But I mean, we are not C. elegans, right? So we don't know what... Oh, I mean, we, we are not standardized like C. elegans and, and everybody's different. So it would the liver from, from, from an Asian person would be different from an European... De definitely, definitely. Um, but uh, a European hepatocyte, it will still be the same as an Asian hepatocyte in, uh, if you look from, from a distance, right? It, Still, yeah, yeah. if you want to zoom in further, 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 yes, you will find genetic and epigenetic differences and environmental. But a brain cell in, is still a brain cell wherever we look. Uh, we can even say wherever we look in, in the whole mammalian species, we still have principles. Yeah, you still know that's a yeah. neuron. Yeah, uh, so the identity we can relatively quickly identify the very specialized uh, function that that particular cell has in in the context of the tissue, that will be different. And and the more we are exposed to differences in, in metabolome, eating um, habits, uh, we know that from cancers, why are cancers in one part more frequent than in other parts? It's because the way people live, lifestyle, eating, and so on. That will all... Um, that that will not be easy to get all of that, but let's start with yeah, a, start a rough map of a rough atlas of the human body, so that we know what sort of the body plan is and and how many different cell types we have because we have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> we said maybe a thousand, probably it's many many more. What do you wish if? You get there. <laughs> uh, what do you want the people to do with that? That uh, information? Well, 
satisfy their curiosity and and, <laughs> and and add more information to it. Uh, of course, also um, add any medical application of it is is an important one. Um, disease, um, we understand very little of disease. We understand even less how to cure it. We know how to bombard it with chemicals and stuff, which we call chemotherapy in, in some cases. But we have very little knowledge. So getting that knowledge to understand how things are organized, the basic principles, maybe you can then do therapy, cell therapy, whatever, steer it in a particular direction, improve it, but it will take some time, yeah. Yeah, sure. But, but it's inter that's intriguing. I mean, what do you that's think you can do in yeah. 20 years or 10 years from now, uh, apart from me being retired? <laughs> well, <laughs> what can we do? So, Hank, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> I pleasure. guess that, that was very nice, and thank you very much. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. This was the fifth episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. We are happy to receive your feedback on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn. If you have any further questions, you can also reach me at eurotech at activemotif.com. You can download the podcast also via iTunes. If you wish to stay current on epigenetics research, please subscribe to our newsletter on the Active Motif website. Thanks for listening and stay tuned. <laughs>